Greetings and love to all of you. We have a special subject for today. Most people are interested in it. Guru and disciple and eternal covenant of love. Our guru was an incarnation of God, which means that God's qualities and powers manifested through him. And so he was in tune with God 100% and did the will of God throughout his life here on earth. God doesn't take a body here on earth, but he sends one of his divine sons, one who was a human being and made an effort to contact God because God is the goal of life. We are here to realize our own divinity and oneness with him. The Guru has cosmic consciousness, and he comes to our level to raise us up from the human state to the divine state. And he exemplifies the spiritual way of life. In Sanskrit, Guru means dispeller of darkness, as we know, darkness of ignorance, disease, poverty, delusion, this is what we want to overcome. Jesus said, I am the way and the light. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Human consciousness is a state of darkness. Our Guru loved God while he was here, expressed great devotion for God, and his love was for us too because he had nothing to gain when he came here on earth. He had everything. When you have God, what else is there? So he was a channel of God teaching us. He was very humble and he said, I am not the guru, God is the guru. But he was a guru here on earth for us. And so it is God that draws us to a guru. We think we read a book and uh, we accept the guru on our own, but it is not that easy. Master said, if God were not planning to free you, you would not have the idea of seeking him. So God has an interest in our salvation, and that is the reason why he sends an avatar on earth from time to time. Jesus emphasized the importance of a guru. Guru is our teacher. How did we learn to read, write, and do arithmetic? those of us who know, <laughs> because many today don't. <laughs> Jesus was an avatar in his time. He was the guru. And in our time, Paramahansa Yogananda has come to give us the teachings of God for all of us. Master was ordained to establish Self-Realization Fellowship when he was even a boy. He had visions of the three places he would own, he used to tell us. Ranchi, International Headquarters at Mount Washington, and the Encinitas Hermitage. He didn't know at that time under what circumstances he would have these three places. And so Christ, 
met Babaji in Himalayas and asked Babaji to send someone to the West. And Master was the one who was chosen. And Master promised to help us incarnation after incarnation if necessary. And in his poem, God's Boatman, I just want to read parts of it that pertain to us at this time. Master says, I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to earth's shores from my home in heaven. I want to load my boat with those waiting thirsty ones who are left behind. Oh, I will come again and again, if need be, a trillion times, so long as I know one stray brother is left behind. That's the love of a guru. He has nothing to gain, but he comes for us. Sometimes devotees express sadness, have to me and probably to others, that uh, they were not here when Master was on this earth, that they were not born at the time Master was on earth. And we know the great privilege it is to have a guru, but yet we know also that he is here. The guru has disciples not only on this plane, the physical plane, but also the astral and the causal. He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and he can be on any plane to help any disciple. He has that power, the freedom to be anywhere and everywhere in creation. There are individuals who used to ask Master, how are things going to be when you're gone? Usually organizations fall apart after the leader leaves. And they expected that of SRF, of course, because it was the way of the time. But Master said, I will be more with you when I'm gone, because the body is in the way. The body is in the way. I thought, I was thinking, like any human being, most likely, that because he had to take care of the body, so he couldn't take care of us, think of us so much. But that wasn't uh, his uh, reasoning at all. That wasn't what he meant. He meant that his body stands in our way, that we are the ones see him as a human being instead of a divine being. It was so easy to do so. One time in Hollywood Temple, he was uh, talking on some subject, and he said to the people, when I'm gone, those who are attached to my body and my personality will be gone likewise. And that's what happened. When he announced one Sunday that this is his last Sunday in conducting services at the Hollywood Temple, Next Sunday, only 25% of the people appeared. 75% left. They were there for his personality. Master used to lecture in the largest auditoriums all over the country. But when he was building a temple, it was small. Because those who want God are few. Today, it is easier to think of Master's divinity because we don't see his body. He who thinks me near, I am near. It is all within ourselves to go within rather than see him outwardly.
Now we are in the new spiritual age. Through God's will, Master created the self-realization lessons. And anyone in any part of the country, living alone, away from the temples even, away from a guru that is physically away from him, can know the teachings by reading the lessons, studying the lessons. A family person can find God. And so today in India too, they have the Yagoda Satsanga lessons, which people are now reading, studying, and following, practicing what's in the lessons. Since Paramahansa's Mahasamadhi, he has drawn other people to the spiritual path, to the self-realization path. One time a devotee said he was going to his Christian church, family church, but he always felt that there was more that Jesus had taught that is not being taught in the churches. And so he said, he decided to pray to Christ for some guidance, revelation. And he prayed one time and saw a vision of Master, Paramahansa Yogananda. But he never saw that face. He did not know who it was. And so he didn't know what to do. It was very strange, praying to Christ and seeing another face. So he said, he was in the bookstore looking for some book on spiritual living. They give him some guidance. And in the display of books, there was Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Autobiography of Yogi. He saw the face that he saw in a vision. So he knew that he had to read the Autobiography of Yogi, and that's how he came into the teachings. There's no fight between all the gurus, they're all one. They're all in one, uh, they're with God. Here, of course, on earth, different denominations fight because they're not living the life. One devotee of India said he was visiting various holy places in India. And then reading the autobiography of Yogi, he knew about Ananda Morima, so he went to her ashram. He said he stayed there a few days, and then he thought about going to Los Angeles to visit Self-Realization Fellowship and see what it was like. He came to Ananda Morima and asked for her blessings for the trip. And she started to laugh. And he said, here, I'm serious. I want a blessing for my trip, for my journey, and she's laughing. That's what he was thinking. And then Ananda Morima said, you don't need my blessings. Your guru's with you all the time. And he didn't know, he said. Master could be with us, we may not know. Because he wants us to make that effort until we are able to commune with him. If he came to us all the time as he was here, maybe thousands and thousands of people saw Master but they disappeared because they were satisfied just seeing him. That is the reason God does not reveal himself until we make that specific effort. Master said, God can give us God consciousness, his consciousness instantly, all of us. 
but then his creation will come to an end. <laughs> and his game, his game is to see how soon each one is going to return back to the divine kingdom. When we are in tune, we are guided in a subtle way. Master is there. And we know it when little miracles happen, little certain things happen. And also we know because the whole day goes smoothly. And it's day after day when you are practicing the presence and you're meditating. Day after day, the whole day goes smoothly. Everything seems to fall in place. You know ahead of time what to do. One time, after a few months of this, it was getting a little monotonous. <laughs> I wasn't accustomed to not having something to overcome, some test. <laughs> and so I prayed for something, some little thing to come and so I could... <laughs> and then they came. Not one, <laughs> but several came from all sides. And I never thought that way anymore. <laughs> it's God's doing, it's not our doing, it's the Guru who helps us during the day when we're in tune with him. Raji Yankananda appreciated Master so much. He was Master's highest disciple, as Master used to say. And when he retired, living in Encinitas, Sometimes he would invite us, monks, to meditate with him. And there would be a time that he would ask me to walk the grounds with him. And we didn't talk. He didn't like talking. He always was very quiet. He was so deep in that bliss. And so we, we used to walk. And then one time he started to whisper, What Master has done for me, what Master has done for me. And he was, you could see that deep love he had for Master. Here's a multimillionaire. God was first in his consciousness. He was so grateful to Master for giving him the Nidhikapa Samadhi state. The state when you can be active during the day and still feel the presence of God all day long. And that is what we have to work toward. And that's what Master came here for. Raisajankananda applied himself. He was an earnest student, living for God alone, even though he had big businesses to carry on. Some individuals have asked me, devotees, what is a fourfold vow that you take when you become a renunciant? Maybe I could practice that at home myself. And so everyone can. It's a vow of renunciation. Practice it in the ashram or in one's home. Any sincere student that applies him or herself to it will be able to have the same benefits. Master had a definition for renunciant. Renunciant is one who never forgets God. Master's definition, one who never forgets God. And if we live that way, then we are renunciants. And the first vow of renunciation is simplicity, living a simple life. 
That means not accumulating a lot of unnecessary possessions and things that take away our mind from God, especially. Of course, certain necessities are necessary. We have to take care of the body, have to have food, shelter, clothing, and little entertainment now and then, and whatever else. But when we have too many things that are not necessary, they take up our minds because we can't forget about them. We see them, and the mind turns to them. Buddha said, he who has cows has care of cows. So, whatever we have, we have to take care of. Can't help it. That's where this life is. The saints, instead of increasing their desires, they decrease them until they have practically nothing at all. Of course, we can't live that way. Now it's not necessary. The idea is not to be attached to what we own. Master said, enjoy what you have, but don't be attached to it. And if it disappears or something, don't cry about it, because that means attachment. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, he said he enjoyed going to the marketplace because he saw so many things there he could do without. Krishna said, desire and anger are man's worst enemies. Desire and anger. Desire for material things. It's the only desire that's true, desire for God. That's the only desire that does not bring suffering, misery in life. All misery suffering we have is due to the fact we're not living according to God's laws. And so Master has a chant. Most of you probably know, desire my great enemy with its soldiers surrounding me is giving me a lot of trouble, O oh my Lord. One time, a young man came to Master in India and the Master was introducing him to the ashram life and he said to him, what you want and we don't have, just let me know, and I will show you how to do without it. <laughs> well, we can't always have a master telling us that, but we have to, in our consciousness, try to do without a lot of things that are not helpful to us. And so we should simplify our material needs as much as possible. And the next thing we have to simplify is our thinking. Because all day long we have thoughts going through the mind and those thoughts are not helpful to us spiritually. Unhappiness is caused concentrating on material world. That's the reason for our unhappiness because the world cannot give us happiness. There's nothing in it. Only God can give us happiness. The world gives us a pleasure, and soon it's gone. Then we have to look for another pleasure and another one. And so this is the reason why we have to watch our thoughts. Be watchmen at the door. Watch what thoughts come in. 
And so we have to purify our hearts, purify our minds, free the mind from thoughts of disease, illness, and so on. Instead, think of health, vitality, strength, every day. Even I used to write that on a piece of paper and see it several times a day until it became part of my consciousness. That is how we acquire new thoughts, I should say new habits of thinking. Instead of mind being full of worries, anxieties, fears, it's better to work on a solution. What has to be done in this case and work on it? Instead of worrying. Instead of being in the habit of criticizing others verbally or mentally, why not send love to that person? Instead of criticizing, send love to that person. Peace and harmony, peace and harmony. Because what we do for others, what we want for others comes back to us. And so that person is benefited, and one is benefit too, for sending those thoughts, divine thoughts, to the person. So our mind should be engaged in positive thoughts, health, happiness, faith, abundance, love, joy, everything that's uplifting. And so also we must simplify our feelings, our hearts sometimes have anger, all the negative emotions, hate, jealousy, moods. Master said we're like a gold ball. You know, a gold ball can't shine when it's dirty, dusty, full of, you know, covered with debris, can't shine in the light, cannot reflect the sun. But wash away the debris. There you see a beautiful gold ball reflecting the light of the sun. And so we reflect God when we purify our hearts, purify our minds. And studying the lessons gives us instructions in doing so. So we must keep our minds busy with prayers, affirmation, or devotional singing. A master has prayers and devotion in his book, Whispers from Eternity, Metaphysical Meditation, Scientific Healing Affirmations. As disciples, this is what Master would want us to do, purify ourselves. Also, we have to simplify our activities. All the hours we have, we fill with activity and find that we have no time for meditation, no time to think about God. We have to realize that many of our activities are fruitless. They just take up time. And there's a difference between worldly activities and spiritual. Worldly activities keep the consciousness on a horizontal level. We're acting and so on all day long, and we think we're getting somewhere just because we're busy, and yet we're not progressing. But spiritually, when we're active, we're going vertically. Our consciousness is going upward. That's the reason we have to live a spiritual life. Spiritual activities go vertically, and uh, the secular activities keep us on a human level. 
And so the consciousness must be purified by purifying our hearts and our minds with proper emotions, positive emotions and positive thoughts. And so in activity, we must be efficient. Master said, don't be busy all the time with useless activity. Why not be efficient with activities? Just as one mother said to her little daughter, will you go to the bedroom and empty the wastebasket? And so she went to the bedroom, she came back right away. Mother said, you didn't empty that wastebasket. And the daughter said, it didn't need emptying, it just needed stepping into. But while we're busy working during the day, keep our minds on God. We can do that with an affirmation, prayer, or chanting. One devotee said, my husband goes to work. I pull out the cleaning uh, equipment. I vacuum, start vacuuming the floor and I begin to sing, thou art my life, thou art my love, thou art the sweetness which I do seek. And I am filled with bliss. The bliss comes to me right away. This is day after day. That's her experience because she practices the teachings. So Master said, if you're so busy or you have an activity that requires all concentration that you have, then concentrate on that work. When you're finished, put your mind on God. We have so many times during the day, we're walking from one place to another, when we're eating and uh, dressing and so on. There are so many times we can practice the presence of God because more or less we do things automatically, by habit. So we should simplify our activities. And so the first vow is simplicity in our actions, in our thoughts, in our feelings, and in our possessions. Second vow is, vow of renunciation, is obedience. Being obedient to God, being obedient to the Guru. How? By following the, the teachings. Some individuals are afraid of the word obedience because to them, it means subordination. It means loss of freedom. Well, human beings don't have any freedom at all because they're governed by habits, by whims, by ignorance and delusion. That's the reason we have to get out of this human state. And that's the reason Master came to this country, into the Western world. And so it is our Guru who shows us the true way to freedom. It's all in the lessons. The lessons are the foundation of God's teaching. And Master said that obedience means following the divine laws, which lead to God. That's what obedience is for. And so studying the lessons, it's sitting at the Guru's feet because these were the teachings while he was in the body. What he was teaching in the temple and classes and everywhere. And these are the lessons that he had written for our benefit. 
And it says in the Bible, for this is the love of God, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. When we live according to God's will, they don't make us sad. They don't make us unhappy. When we live according to his laws, we're happy, even without trying to be happy. Because those laws are what we obey, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and material, they're uplifting. And in time, we have peace of mind, happiness. We feel secure because we are with God and Guru. And above all, there's that personal relationship with them. There was a master in India who used to meet with his devotees in the village. And uh, they considered themselves his disciple. Not all, but uh, many of them attended his meetings day after day. He was teaching about God, living for God, seeking God. And there was a skeptic in the village. His friend was a disciple. And the disciple tried to get the skeptic to come to the meeting. He said, come just once. And the skeptic just wouldn't come. He said, I don't want to obey your master. And so he wouldn't come. But the disciple of the master kept after him and said, just come for one meeting. So after a while, he agreed. He came for the meeting. He sat near the door, near the entrance, way in the back. And uh, he was listening as the master spoke about seeking God. And then the master stopped and he said to the people about three-fourths from the front, he said, will you please make a little room for our visitor? And so he asked him to sit closer. And so the visitor, the skeptic, sat a little closer. They were sitting on the floor, I have to say. And the, the master kept on talking, giving his discourse on seeking God. And then he, he motioned in the aisle there, people, please make a little room there for our friend, our visitor. Please, and he asked the skeptic to come and sit in that spot. So he came down, sat there. He was a little closer now. As he spoke on, a little time went by, and then the, the master asked the skeptic, come forward, there's space right here, you could sit right there. And so he came and sat right in there, almost in front of the master. And the master kept on with his discourse, and when he was through, he addressed the skeptic. He said, you said that you would not obey me. But you see, every time you obeyed me, I made things better for you. <laughs> and that is the master. He makes things better for us when we live according to the teachings. And in the Bible, the Lord says, Hear what I say unto thee. Be not rebellious. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. Be not rebellious. Tests come to us. Good things come to bad things. But that's our karma. Nothing comes to us by accident or by chance or by luck. We draw everything to us, good and bad, by the way we act the way we think, the way we feel. 
Be not rebellious. Don't be angry at God, as so many are, just because some tests has come to them. We have to get rid of the karma that we created. We actually created it. So we ex have to accept it, go through it. Make the effort. If you make the effort, pray for guidance and all, pray for help, you'll get over that karma, that test, so much sooner. And so we have to eliminate the habit of negative thinking, negative feeling, and follow the ways of obedience by living according to the teachings the Master's given us. That's the first step. Because Master said, the teachings, SRF lessons, will be your guru. If Master was here, this is what he would be teaching. What's in the lessons? And so he makes it easy for us at home. Just sit in a lazy chair and, and read, study. Not just read, but study. And so obedience means practicing the teachings. The third vow of renunciation is chastity. According to the teachings of the saints of all religions and the scriptures, chastity should be practiced by those who are not married, single persons. Physical intercourse belongs in marriage. Master said, if there's a physical urge, it doesn't mean you have to indulge. It's accumulation of energy there in that area. And what you should do to get rid of that energy is to read, write, or run, jog, swim, or do something. <laughs> Distract your mind and also the energy withdraws into the body and makes the body healthier. We don't realize that, but that's true. And so physical intercourse belongs in marriage, but chastity does not. Master did not say that we should practice chastity in marriage, although some do, but that's their choice. Master said in marriage, physical intercourse, there should be moderation. Of course, everyone asks, what is moderation? It's different for different people, different couples. And the couple has to, has to decide moderation. And so that's the third vow that renunces, all renunciants take, whether they're in the ashram or not. Chastity. The fourth vow of renunciation is loyalty. Master said this is the highest law. It is God's law. We must be loyal to individuals that we're with. Never offend others. That is loyalty. Jesus said, be thou faithful unto death, and I shall give thee a crown of life. Faithful, loyal, we have to be that to Guru and to God. And so loyalty is very, very important. Jesus taught this. You know, one time Jesus had 70 disciples, according to the Bible. And they all disappeared except 12. And Jesus asked the 12, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, but master, where can we go? When you're with an avatar, with a guru, a true guru, where can you go from him? If nowhere but down. 
And so the 12 disciples, 11 actually, they spread the teachings of Christ, teachings of God, and they are known today. And so Master said, the devotee must be loyal to the Guru throughout life if he desires to be redeemed. Loyalty throughout life. So there's no one higher than the Guru. He's our last teacher. This we have to realize. Loyalty means to adhere to the organization likewise, because it's the organization, Self-Realization Fellowship, established by Master through God's will. So as Master said, if I don't do this work, God will send someone else, because he wants Kriya Yoga to be established in the Western world through Self-Realization Fellowship. And I heard him say this several times to us. And so God and Guru work through the president and through the board of directors who were trained by Master and carry on his work. They are the channels for God and Guru. And Master said that Babaji has chosen the future presidents of SRF. And so God, Christ, Babaji, and Master Paramahansa Yogananda support Self-Realization Fellowship. Certain teachers who are not in SRF claim to be guided by Master and guided by Babaji. There was a teacher. First, he was a student. He's following the teachings. Attend the master's classes at that time, master had public classes. He was initiated to Kriya Yoga. And then he asked master whether he could teach after he studied the lessons and knew them pretty well. And the master gave him permission and said it was all right. So he started to teach and he was in, always in connection with master, uh, communicated with master. And then after a couple of years or so, he decided to go on his own. He severed his connection with Master. And he continued to teach in the same way, give initiations. And few of us monks were with Master, and one monk asked Master, is his uh, teaching and his connection with you and his Kriya initiation as effective now as, as when he was with you in the past? And Master said simply, the chain has been broken. The chain has been broken. There's no link then. You have to be loyal to a guru. It's not a simple thing to just say, I follow the guru and not be loyal to him. The chain is broken. And so, Master blesses those who are loyal to him in this forever, because that's the way of God. Master did not create these ideas, these laws. It's, they're all gods. And so there's a difference between teacher who proclaims himself a guru and one who has been chosen by a guru to teach. God expects all to follow the guru and his organization. So loyalty is the highest law. And so 
we see that anyone can be a renunciant because renunciation is in the heart. And so the renunciate vows are simplicity, obedience, chastity, and loyalty. We are disciples of Master, those of us who are loyal to him. This is the highest relationship that God created. The last relationship is with spirit, of course, but on earth it is with the guru. And so Jesus refers to the importance of a guru from time to time. He tells his disciples that they have to be loyal to him. And so Krishna also, and all the true saints. And Jesus said, he who follows me follows not me, but him that sent me. They're all serving God. And we must serve our guru because we're serving God indirectly. And so guru represents God. He's our last teacher. And as Jesus said, except a branch abideth in the vine, it cannot produce fruit. A branch that's severed from a vine cannot have grapes. We have to also be attached to the guru. If we sever ourselves, then we are on our own. God is the root, and the guru is the vine, and we are the branches. A guru knows our consciousness, he knows our weaknesses, and he tries to help us to overcome them. But we have to make an effort too. If we don't, then he can't help us. So we must be in tune with the guru, practice his teachings. Disciples of Christ were in a boat one time, and they saw a light on the sea, and the light frightened them, because they never saw this before. And as the light came closer, they realized it was Jesus in that light. And so Jesus came close to the boat, and Peter asked him that he be allowed to walk on water. And Jesus asked him to come. And Peter stepped into the water, he was walking on water. And then there was a great wind, a storm started to come up, and Peter became frightened because of the storm. And then he started to sink. And he called out, Master, save me. And Jesus lifted his hand and had him walking back into the boat. And so Jesus said to him, O ye of little faith, why hast thou doubted? Doubts, fears, worries, keep God away from us and keep the Guru away from us. That's the reason we have to purify our consciousness. And so, Master said several times, I heard him, those who are in tune with me receive more. Those who are in tune with me receive more. And he used the illustration of a student in school, in the classroom, who listens to the teacher, follows instructions of the teacher. That student learns more than the one who is absent-minded, daydreaming, and doesn't pay any attention to the teacher. One time a monk said to Master, please bless me so I grow spiritually. And Master said to him, I can't help you because you shut me out. And he was a frivolous type of individual who liked to have fun, you know, and fool around. His mind was not on God. And so Master said, you shut me out. In order to 
have God and Guru come into us, we have to purify our hearts and minds. He was not a branch that was attached to Master, we could say. And so we shut him out when we lack faith, when we lack this, the spiritual effort to meditate and practice the presence. Guru's teaching is in the lessons, and we must follow the lessons as closely as possible. You know, we have to be careful. Some individuals say, well, God knows I love him, but they never think of him. God doesn't take any excuses. He doesn't take our love for granted. He wants to see us act properly within. Sanyal Mahasha, the youngest disciple of Larry Mahasha, he was talking with one of our renunciates and he said, keep going, keep going and try your best with what the Guru has given you. It takes time. Whatever God or Guru gives us in the lessons, keep on practicing. As he says, it takes time. We give so much time in pursuit of material things. That's the reason it's so hard for us to know God. But we must put our attention on God. How to be in tune with the Guru? By studying the lessons, following the teachings. Because as we practice the teachings, we are in tune. And I say that we should read the lessons every day. One or two pages. Why? Because we are in tune with the Guru when we're reading those lessons. Those words, those ideas are not ordinary. They don't come from a human mind. Master was in tune with God when he was writing the lessons or writing his books. One devotee came to me one time and he said, I don't know why, but I don't have the presence of the Guru. I should feel the bliss all the time, and I don't have that anymore. And I asked him, are you meditating? He said, yes. Practicing Kriya? Yes. Are you reading the lessons every day? Oh, no, I'm all through with the lessons. <laughs> so I suggested to him to go back and read the lessons, see if that is not your problem. I didn't see him for a whole month, and then when he was walking toward me, came close, there was a big smile on his face, and he said, you know, there's something about reading the lessons that gives you attunement. I have the presence again. That's the power of the self-realization teachings. And Master in one of his poems says, when you no longer can see me, read my whispers from eternity. And this was before the lessons came out, he had the whispers from eternity. And when we read the lessons, that is where we learn to commune with God and the Guru. Master would be with us at times there in the main hall of Mount Washington. And he never had formal classes when I came. But we learned from him just by being with him and, talk, and he would talk about the teachings. He was not frivolous with his speech when he was with us. He was very sincere what he was saying. And so he, was, he used to speak of the importance of meditation, practicing the techniques of meditation, he emphasized. All the techniques are very important because each one gives a certain degree of awakening, 
awakening of the channels in the brain and in the spine. And so doing the techniques, however, is not the end of meditation. As so many have said to me, I practice the techniques, then when I'm through, I have nothing to do, so I quit meditating, go to sleep. There's more to do. Master used to bring this out. It's in the lessons, too. He said, after you have practiced the techniques, sit a long time in the stillness. And that is a very important part. We think we're doing nothing there. But in the stillness, just be aware of the spiritual eye. That's all. Be aware of the spiritual eye. Imagine if you want that you're looking through a dark tunnel. There's a, the light of spirit at the end of the tunnel. Even we should not think during that time about God or Guru, love or joy. Just be aware of the spiritual eye. Sit there as long as you can. Master used to say, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Why the stillness? That's the only time God can come to us. He doesn't come to us when we're restless. All of our spiritual experiences come when we're still, not when we're restless. Master used to say, restlessness is the enemy of the soul. So we must learn to be calm, especially when we're facing problems during the day. Still remain calm. It takes practice. You can't do it all, all at once, but it takes practice. You have to keep, keep at it until you are in the habit. After you have sat a long time in the stillness, of course, there, there'll be thoughts coming in. Push them out. Continue sitting in the stillness. But then after a while, you get very restless. That is the time to talk to God from the heart. That is the time to practice devotion. Offer your love to God. Tell him you love him. You want him. You're seeking him. That he's the most important part of your life. Ask him to reveal himself. Talk from the heart. Not from the mind or the words from the lips, but from the heart. When I first started, I imagined my heart had a mouth and the words were coming out of the mouth of the heart. Then it was easier to feel the presence. This is where the presence is. It's in the chest. It's in the heart center. And so talking to a guru, he is listening. He knows what we're saying. After we, we have talked to God, to the guru for a long time, then, all right, you finish your meditation. If you want to meditate longer, practice a technique or two and sit in the stillness. And again, at the end, offer your devotion to God. And also, if you have any problems, you can talk to him at the end of meditation. That is how we extend our meditation. And that is how we grow spiritually. Master, in the beginning, used to tell us we must practice the presence of God. Keep Divine Mother back in your consciousness. Keep Divine Mother back in your consciousness. Think of God while you're busy working during the day. And I couldn't fathom how this could be done, but then I decided to try what he's saying. For one week, I decided to chant Om Divine Mother, since that was his suggestion. And then when I kept on chanting Divine Mother, it took me a month or so, and I started to feel the presence within. 
And then I realized, oh, this is the reason Master wants us to chant to Divine Mother, to think of Divine Mother all day long while we're busy working. And so I just kept on for two years, day and night practically. I woke up in the morning and I, could, and I was still chanting. I couldn't think of anything except Divine Mother, except God, because that joy, that bliss was within. And I'm telling you this just because I'm giving you an example how it is done. And then later on, I heard someone say that in India they say God is Guru and Guru is God. And I thought to myself, well, if Master is my Guru, he's my God, I'm going to chant to him. So I started to chant Om Guru all the time. And in a few weeks, I started to feel more bliss. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So I kept on chanting Om Guru. And this went on for four more years, just chanting Om Guru all the time. You think it'd be monotonous. Some individuals say, I'm chanting, but it's monotonous. Well, it's because we have to go into the heart. If it's just words in the, from the brain or from the lips, then God doesn't receive that. God does not have to answer to thoughts and words unless they're permeated with devotion. And so then I heard Master speak that love touches God. God responds to devotion. That's the quickest way to get his response by love. So I decided to chant, I love thee, Master, love thee, Master, all the time, uh, using that word and to see what was going to happen. And so I kept on chanting for about eight months. And then one time I had to park a car there in front of the hermitage. And I saw Master was there standing, talking with someone. And as I got out of the car, parked the car and got out, this man walked away and Master started to walk toward me. And I started to walk toward him. When we came close, he said, I love you too. And then he turns around and goes back to the hermitage. That was all. After six or seven years of chanting to Master, that was the first response. I never talked to him about what I was doing because I figured he knew. I just, after all, when you feel that bliss within, the love within, I know it wasn't mine. It just didn't come from nowhere. It was, it was from him. So I never talked to him about it, and he never said anything to me about it. This was, however, this was the first time. And we think that in a week or two, we should have a great response from Master. Well, it took me seven years. <laughs> Master said, I found God because I was patient. You do not know God because you're not patient. We have to be patient in meditation. We have to be patient, practicing the presence of God, because we're in the habit of being distracted all the time from God. And so Paul in the Bible says, pray without ceasing. That's what he meant. During the day, practice the presence of God. Instead of daydreaming, thinking idle thoughts. And so to have a tune with Master, read the lessons every day, one or two pages. It's not much. If you want to do more, you can. Meditate and practice the presence of God. And then you will see you will have the Divine Presence.
Gurudeva had that deep love for Divine Mother, and he had that love for us, and he still has that love for us today. This is his teaching. We used to have meditation with him, like, for instance, we had a meditation, all-day Christmas meditation. And Master was leading it. This was at Mother Center Chapel. And there were uh, monks and nuns and devotees from the city of Los Angeles in Southern California. And during this one meditation, everything was quiet after chanting. We were in the stillness for a long time. And then we heard the whisper, sound whispering. And the whisper became louder. And then we realized it was Master talking to Divine Mother. And then he started to plead with Divine Mother. Don't go away, Divine Mother. Don't go away. Please remain. You say that the, the restless thoughts of the people are preventing you from staying. Please, Divine Mother, don't go away. And his tears were going down his face. Divine Mother was with him, talking with him, but she could not stay too long because of us who are not 100% in tune with her. And so, Master has given us this teaching, and let us remember to practice it, and we too will have what he had. That's the reason he came here. Such is the devotion of the Guru. He loves Divine Mother, and he loves us. And so, let us close with a prayer. Let us feel the divine presence of God and Guru. Heavenly Father, Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Bhagavan Krishna, Mahavatar Babaji, Lari Mahasha, Swami Sri Teswar, our Guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, Saints of all religions, we bow to all of you. Heavenly Father, we are grateful unto thee for thy holy presence, thy guidance, thy protection, thy blessings. May thy love shine forever on the sanctuary of our devotion. And may we be able to awaken thy love in all hearts. Om, Om. Peace. Peace. Amen.